0: Turn if you will in your Bibles to John. It's I. I don't want to make this announcement any connection. I'm preaching on Gethsemane. That doesn't mean because Paul's leaving. And <laughs> Lindsay, so it has no connection. Okay, uh, but look at uh, John 18. We look at verse one. We've been in the upper room, and Leo is going to complete what I did not get to in John 17 in a few weeks and deal with Christ's last request, and he'll deal with that. But it picks up in 18. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley where there was a garden. Only the other gospels name it Gethsemane. John just says a garden. Which he and his disciples entered. Now, Judas, who was to betray him, knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. And so, in the narrative, we get into the arrest. But what John omits is what happened in Gethsemane. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all give us a picture of Gethsemane, and we enter into it. And so, let's go to Matthew 26 and see what took place in Gethsemane. And we'll pick up in Matthew 26, verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And it means the place of the oil pressure, pressure, vats, where they pressed out the olive oil. It speaks of a place of uh, putting olives under pressure to get what was out of them. And what a fitting name for the Savior facing the greatest pressure of his life. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even unto death, remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, in the Greek language, you would say, since it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples, and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, Your will be done. And again he came and he found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and he said to them, sleep and take your rest. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners, Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. I call this the most critical prayer meeting in history. There's no cross without Gethsemane. There's no redemption if he will not drink the cup. And he could refuse to drink the cup and still be God. God will be God whether you ever get saved or not. God doesn't owe anyone salvation. He's not in debt. You are. And uh, it's an amazing thing to come here that Hebrews says, we have a sympathetic high priest who in all points was tempted like we are, so that he might sympathize with us in any pressure we bring to him. There was a philosophy in the time of Scripture. Uh, It came out of Greece. It was the stoical philosophy. And the stoics were people, we use the phrase, he's stoical, which means you show no effect. Uh, Your countenance does not reflect emotion. Because stoicism was built upon emotion weakens you, Emotion uh, makes you vulnerable. Uh, emotion must be conquered if you are to lead. If you are to conquer, you must not show emotion. So the whole Stoical school of philosophy they taught what was known, and, and they made two words uh, in Latin and Greek. If you put a, an A in front of a word, if you say a moral, what does that mean? No morals. The A. Privative makes it negative. And they said, we teach our children apathia. What's that? No passion. No emotion. So they would train their children from a young age. They would often do this. They would uh, let a son uh, raise a pet, get it to a certain age, and the dad may come up and decapitate the dog. And the boy would be spanked and severely disciplined if he shed a tear or showed any emotion. He must be taught to show no emotion. And they have this view of God. God, if anything, stays angry, but he cannot be touched by humans' emotions because that would weaken him, make him vulnerable, and make him manipulated. But the God of the Bible is a God full of emotion. And we, he didn't get his emotions from us. We got ours from him. I made him the image of God, including my emotional capacity. Animals can't, don't have the emotions we have. It is a sacred trust. And when we go into the garden, I want us to see two great battles. One is the emotional valley and trauma that the Son of God goes through. Second, the volitional choices he makes. And then thirdly, what can we learn from it? Let's go. I will just give you key concepts. They're found in the three narratives, and I won't track them all down for you. So maybe the PowerPoint will help you there. When he went into the garden, it says that uh, he began uh, to feel this grief, became sorrowful, which is just the normal, it's the same word for grieving the spirit, uh, to grieve, to become sorrowful. And then it uses this word uh, that he not only became sorrowful, he became troubled, and in some translations, he became distressed. And the word distress means uh, distracted by sorrow. Uh, he, he, he can't keep his head clear. Uh, he he's, uh, as it were, it seems when you're in grief, when you're overwhelmed with trial, it's hard to keep your mind on what you ought to be doing. And so there's a sense of uh, distraction, disintegration. Uh, I'm fighting to keep it together. Uh, I'm, my emotions are going everywhere. And I got to keep my head, keep my heart. I got to keep the goal. But I am being troubled in spirit. My emotional life is is exploding because the shadow of the cross is falling on Gethsemane. And this prayer meeting is only maybe ten hours from the cross. He'll be tried through the night, six trials, three before the Gentiles, three before the Jews. And by nine o'clock, he'll be on a cross. And it's night in Gethsemane. And so while he's there, he's troubled. It's all coming on him. It's all falling on him at once. And he feels this distraction. And then it goes on to say he was deeply grieved. And what that is, they just added a little preposition, means he was surrounded by it. It was like he was ambushed. Peri lupe. I'm surrounded. I'm encompassed with this. And it says... I'm surrounded by sorrow. I'm overwhelmed with distress. Luke says he went in agony. And it's just simply our word, agonia. It was used of athletics, struggle, conflict, agnoia. And he says, I'm in agony. I'm in the struggle of my life. I'm in the struggle of the whole mission. You see, it's easy to make a plan in eternity past. It's easy to say before the foundation of the world he was slain. It's easy on paper. The execution is emotionally draining, costly. You can write anything on paper. What will you carry out? And it's time to carry it out. And the shadows are there and all of the agony involved. So the emotional life of the Savior is just being, uh, my, it's, it's caught in a perfect storm. Luke said he prayed earnestly while he was in the garden, and that simply meant uh, to be stretched fervently. It was like a runner stretching over a, a goal. He, he was being stretched in his emotional life. He said in Mark uh, 14, 14:33 that he was amazed at what he was going through. And the word there is to be in the grip of shuddering horror. Uh, to be in the face of uh, dreadful prospects. I know it, I am now entering into a valley a- and in a situation uh, that is the most dreadful thing I will have ever incur in time. And surely it will be the thing that will either populate eternity Or I can leave it vacant. Because if I don't go through this hour in the will of God, all my enemies and all those who hate me will go to hell rightfully. Unless I get through this hour and this prayer meeting and do the Father's will, the race will be lost. Everything's at stake in Gethsemane. Everything. So, we go into what's going on volitionally. We know this is an emotional. He's in the valley of Baca. He's in the valley of tears. And what's going to go on here? He's embracing shame, crucifixion, the presence of God being withdrawn from him. It's going to be man's worst hour and Satan's seemingly triumphant hour. Uh, He faced temptations like this, Maybe I, am I being tempted to leave the work unfinished? I'll do everything. I'll leave him with the Sermon on the Mount, but I won't leave him with the cross. I'll leave him a bunch of miracles, but I won't go to a cross. I think he may have uh, struggled with, can I get through this hour? According to Luke, God had to send an angel to help him. That's pretty weak. Had to give him physical strength because he's wrung out, because Luke is the only one that says his sweat was like great drops of blood. And then he adds, so God sent an angel to help him. Amazing what was going on. This is the son of God, drenching wet from the agony he was experiencing in the garden. He was already maybe contemplating in this struggle the being forsaken by God. Uh, maybe the devil was tempting him. You won't achieve the redemption of your people anyway. Why don't you just stop? Do you think the devil was in the garden? Do you think the powers of hell were talking? Do you think that he who was to crush the head of the serpent, his heel is being bruised in the process And do you believe the liar that showed up in the 40 days in the wilderness? The liar that showed up in Eden. Do you think the liar would miss any opportunity? Because he said in Luke, when he left him after the 40 days, he said, I'll wait for an opportune time to come back and visit you. This is the opportune time. The devil is a strategist. He knows when you're the weakest, and it's when he's going to offer his greatest lies. It's a time of lonely prayer, humble prayer. There's three volitional things that the emotions could not get him through. Number one, will you submit to the hour? To the hour. And uh, what is the hour? Uh Luke twenty-two fifty-three 53 said this, this is your hour, this is in the garden, and when they came to arrest him, and the power of darkness, listen to that. He's saying to the men, this is your hour, and besides it being just the human hour to do whatever you will, it's also the hour of darkness. So what's happening here throughout the ministry of Christ, Christ said in John 7, no man could touch him, for his hour had not come. John 8, 20, 12, you, Over and over, he'd say, my hour hasn't come. My hour hasn't come. Uh, you want to throw me over a cliff? You can't. My hour hasn't come. You want to hurt me? You can't. Because you see, I'm invincible in the will of God. And when Peter got a little zealous with a sword, he says, oh, don't worry. I've got angels standing on the banks of heaven ready to come and rescue me. I'm not being trapped here. I'm in a submission mode. I got all the power. I can command myself now and go straight up. I'm God. But he said, I'll submit to the hour, and I'll let men in hell do everything they want to do. And so in Gethsemane and at the cross, man did his worst, and the devil did his best, and the devil thought he won. The hour, the will of God lets me finally say, do with me what you will. And he tells Pilate, well, you know, I'm in authority. He said, you'd have no authority if my father didn't give it to you. Don't scare me with your authority. You say, you're talking to God. But God will submit like a lamb and die a criminal's death for his enemies. Then he mentions to the father three times, I would like for you to take this cup away from me. Take this cup away. What is the cup? It's interesting that he's just taken the Passover cup with them, and they drank the cup that celebrated God's deliverance from Egypt. So, they had drank that cup. But now he's saying the cup, the cup. Matter of fact, uh, the new covenant contains a vicious death celebration. The bl- this is the blood of a new covenant. And blood used in Scripture usually means a vicious death under the penalty of God. It doesn't mean I just died. See, a sick lamb could not atone for you. Christ didn't die of sickness. He died under the hand of God totally well, 33 years of age. A sick Christ could not atone. A powerful Christ alone could atone. And so he says, this cup, and and you've got different men. You'll read some commentators, and they'll say, uh, it was his dread of physical death. I don't take that view because he kept prophesying it. I'm going to die a physical death. After three days, I'll rise again. Many people have faced physical death with courage uh, and not all this agony going on in the garden. Uh, Even martyrs, we've got a history on the side of martyrs singing hymns while they're being set on fire. Uh, Martyrs singing while a sword is being put to their children and their wife. Oh, no, no. The martyrs have died. It nobly, so this isn't the fear of physical death. Some, uh, like men like Dwight Pentecost, it's the fear of uh, when will my resurrection take place. Maybe uncertain about the timing. I, I struggle with that because he kept saying, Three days later, I will rise again. So I think, well, uh, d- did he go blank on that prophecy? But at this time, and grief can make you forget promises. Grief can make you. And, and so he, because on, in Acts 2, part of the sermon of Peter was, by the way, and hear me, God didn't let one skin worm work in the body of Jesus when he was in the grave. None, no kind of decomposition. I will not let my Holy One see corruption. That means physical corruption. Worms can't work on this body. Not this Christ. This is the lamb. This is the atonement. And worms won't do. Perfect. Kept. Most likely the cup, which is commonly used in the Old Testament, even in Revelation, used as a container of the wrath of God. The wrath of God. And so the cup, as I understand it, is in that cup, he's saying, I'm going to be abandoned by you, Father, if I go through with this. The God, I've been in perfect harmony and fellowship. If I ransom sinners, it's going to cost me fellowship with you for the abandonment of the cross is coming. And I don't want to lose you, Father. Father. But to find them, I have to lose you. To get them, I lose you. I can't. I see it will be a living hell for me to have six hours without your fellowship and help. So I'm seeing an eternal separation because that's what six hours would be like for me. The cup is a treacherous cup. Full of separation, alienation, abandonment, and the wrath of God being so thoroughly poured out on the lamb that he could pay the price to get God's enemies into heaven. You know, sometimes I think we overdo the gift aspect of salvation. We'll we'll say, especially around here, oh, it's a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's free. It's free. It doesn't cost you anything. Wait, wait, just hear me a little bit. Just because it didn't cost the recipient anything, it costs the giver everything. And all this free, 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 free. It's free to you. It's free to you. It's not free to him. God, spare not his son. Abraham, you got deliverance. Abraham, I came to your rescue. All you had to do is be willing, and you had the knife. And all of a sudden, ba, ba. And he said, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. And he rescued Abraham. And a lot of places in your life, God just wants to know if you're willing. Sometimes he plunges the knife. And there was no lamb to rescue God's son. There were no angels to rescue this sacrifice. And God said, I will not spare my son to get you hell-deserving sinners into heaven. That's, this is the price for your redemptions taking place in Gethsemane. Why would you want to populate heaven with people who hate you? I want to tell you where I grew up, I never felt inclined like that. And every guy that beat me up, I just thought, if I was bigger or smarter or had a weapon like a ball bat, we would have settled. I ain't letting you in. And me walking away saying, by the way, I want to give you a gift. <laughs> and God says, the whole human race grieves me. I've destroyed it once under the flood. I'm grieved with you. I'm weeping over Jerusalem. Well, what are you going to do about it? I'm going to spare not my son and let him die for every wretched hatred thing you've done against me. Call it free, free to you, not free to him. Oh, you don't know the depth of the agony the Father and the Son went through. And how Isaiah could say, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. I, I struggle how all these emotions met at the cross. He says, Father, you can take this cup away. You've got the power. The second time he prays, it doesn't look like you're going to take it away. The third time he says, I'll drink it. And so the third thing he said yes to was the will of God. What do you do when God says no? Some of us got a yes, yes, God. I'll serve him if he says yes, yes, yes. Does he have the power to say no? Would you obey him if he said no? What if he said that boy is no good for you? Or, oh, God, don't mess with my love life. Just do what I tell you to do. I got a God that you take orders. Let me tell you, don't order God in prayer. Ask. Don't order. He's God. Ask. What can we learn from this? I would, uh, uh, it's too deep for anyone as puny as me to fathom it. But I write down what we can learn as disciples of Christ what we may learn as we look on Christ. Number one, as disciples, prayer is always the best preparation for temptation. If the devil was going to tempt you this week, would he catch you praying? Prayer. You see, it's a lot easier to swing a sword than it is to pray. I'll take care of this. And I love Peter's zeal, but the bigger challenge was staying awake for an hour. (laughs) The bigger challenge, can you make it to the prayer meeting? (laughs) (claps) Yeah. There's where the battle will be won or lost in a prayer meeting. And if anything has died in this country, it's called prayer. We're all into tech because tech will win the battle. All this or what? No, 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 no. it's never won the battle, never will. We're in love with what we've invented. Why don't you get in love with the God that meets you in Gethsemane? The battle will be won on your knees. It's reason you're such easy pickings. He never catches you praying anyway. You must pray to survive temptation. You must pray. You must pray. In the Christian life, you gotta learn to pray like you gotta learn to breathe. You know, Catherine, some of our people have been struggling, breathing problems. You you can't make through life. Some of you, your prayer life is done. How about inhale? Take it in. Just wait. Sweet hour prayer. Could you not watch with me one hour? And I can hear Peter say, no, but I got the sword sharp. <laughs> Some of you look too much like sword bearers. Other flesh is weak in the hour of testing. It always is. That's why you want to be careful on promises of loyalty. You're no stronger than the next temptation. What will you do? Uh, Thirdly, uh, I I make a practical application. This scene came to me years ago. In my 20s when we started the church, uh, funerals begin to come. And, uh, you know, pastors have to have the golden word for every situation. And I went to the side of a widow who just lost her husband. And uh, was in deep grief. And I'm there, and I'm thinking, uh, maybe I quote to her, all things work together for good. Wrong time. Wrong place. Well, in in all things, give thanks for this will of God. You know what God told me in, in that context? I didn't quote anything. He just said, shut up. Be present and pray. And so she and I sat in her den for at least an hour without either one of us talking or saying a word, I just prayed. I read my Bible some. And everyone saw she'd come up from crying. And every time she asked anything, and I just thought, when people are in deep grief, they want you to be present and be praying, not preaching. I was moved when uh, Ojama and Nuhu came to our home when my sister died. They were the first people to visit our house. I don't know how they found out so quick that my sister had passed. And uh, early in the morning, we get this knock, we go there. They had uh, a bunch of flowers, and they came, and uh, they sat with Carol and I, and we talked and everything. And they said, where are all the people? Where's the congregation? I said, well, you know, it just got out. What what do you mean? She said, said, in Africa, we stay with people for a week. I said, well, I love you, but I don't want to house you. I don't want to house you for a week. We got a store up at Costco here. And uh, they said, no, no, no. You don't leave people to grieve alone. You come, you fix meals. We weep together. The West, the West, Bay Area, we have no time for grief. Bury your mom on Friday and be on the job on Monday. No time to grieve in this culture. It's party time. Oh, hell, it's not party time. It's a time to weep, and there's a time to be sorrowful, and there's a time For us to come alongside a brother or sister. If you're broken, I'm broken. If you're weeping, I'm weeping. If you're hurting, I'm hurting. We're one in our sufferings together. We're not just happy hour. This is not a happy world every day. So God taught me, you don't have to be profound at a funeral. And you don't have to be profound when you go to the home. Just be present. And pray the old black sister was a domestic in the south and uh the owner of the house died and some came alongside of her said you must be certainly grieving to have lost such a friend she said oh no 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 we weren't friends we were just acquaintances and i said what do you mean acquaintances said to be friends you got to shed tears together my father said it this way son You can get anyone to eat steak with you. You can find very few that will weep with you. Would you be available to weep for a grieving person in this church? Are you too busy? I see people, I don't have a ministry, but you're not looking, you're not breathing, you're not hardly conscious. Rip Van Winkle, you need to wake up. (laughs) We got a grieving world. We got girls carrying babies; they don't know what they're going to do with it. Would you be any help? Would you at least weep with them? Help them. We got people losing their marriages. We got people fighting the habit. Where can we weep with each other, bear each other up, or do you have to be whole to attend this church? We got to be whole. No, 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 no. I come broken. I come weak. I come empty. He's the one that's whole, not me, him. I don't bring him anything but my emptiness. (laughs) Well, what we learned about the Savior, he's a sympathetic high priest. Secondly, sometimes God says no. How will you respond? Will you drink the cup? Later, you'll find out his saying no meant the purchase of our salvation. Don't know what's facing you, but God's no's are as wonderful as his yeses, But it might take you a while to find out. Two gardens happen here, and a man by the name of Pink writes, The entrance of Christ into the garden at once reminds us of Eden. The contrasts between them are indeed most striking. In Eden, all was delightful. In Gethsemane, all was terrible. In Eden, Adam and Eve parlayed with Satan. In Gethsemane, the last Adam sought the face of his father. In Eden, Adam sinned. In Gethsemane, the Savior suffered. In Eden, Adam fell. In Gethsemane, the Redeemer conquered. The conflict in Eden took place by day. The conflict in Gethsemane was waged at night. In the one, Adam fell before Satan. In the other, the soldiers fell before Christ. In Eden, the race was lost. In Gethsemane, Christ announced, Of them which thou gavest me, I have lost none In Eden, Adam took the fruit from Eve's hand. In Gethsemane, Christ received the cup from his father's hand. In Eden, Adam hid himself. In Gethsemane, Christ boldly sold himself. In Eden, God sought Adam. In Gethsemane, the last Adam sought God. From Eden, Adam was driven. From Gethsemane, Christ was led. In Eden, the sword was drawn. You remember as they put him out of the garden, had an angel with a sword. In Gethsemane, the sword was sheathed. For as Spurgeon said, the sword of justice was plunged into the scabbard of mercy, and the scabbard was the side of the lamb. That's where the sword of God's justice fell, and it's been quenched. Christ dreaded being made our sin, the satisfying sacrifice that he alone could satisfy the wrath of God against us. He did. He did. Oh, how deep the valley. Let me read to you. One of my favorite songs was a song that Ira Sankey did the music, Elizabeth Cleffin's wrote it in England, and Ira Sankey played a little organ player and was the singing evangelist with Dwight Del Moody. And when they went to England, of course, the Scottish Presbyterians, and then they just sang the psalter, the hymns out of psalms. And so these American evangelists were a little bit radical to be singing songs that weren't the psalter. But there's a song that uh, one night on the spur of the moment, Sankey came up with the melody, found this poem written by Elizabeth. And I often quote it to myself when I think of Gethsemane and the cross. And these are the words. Let me take the first stanza and the third. There were ninety and nine that safely lay in the shelter of the fold. But one was lost on the hills away, far off from the gates of gold, away on the mountains wild and bare away from the tender shepherd's care away from the tender shepherd's care S- third stanza oh I must keep on Lord thou hast here thy 90 and nine are they not enough for thee But the shepherd made answer this of mine has wandered away from me and although the rough be road and st- be rough and steep I will go to the desert to find my sheep third stanza this is the one. But none of the ransomed ever knew how deep were the waters crossed, nor how dark was the night the Lord passed through. Ere he found his sheep that was lost. Out in the desert he heard its cry, sick and helpless and ready to die, sick and helpless and ready to die. You must hear the next angel, Lord. Which are those blood drops all the way that mark out the mountain's track? They were shed for one who had gone astray, ere the shepherd could bring him back. Lord, whence are thy hands so rent and torn? They're pierced tonight by many a thorn, they're pierced tonight by many a thorn. But all through the mountains thunder-riven, and up from the rocky steep, there arose a glad cry to the gate of heaven, Rejoice, I have found my sheep. And the angels echoed around the throne. Rejoice, for the Lord brings back his own. Rejoice, for the Lord brings back his own. But the ransom never knew how deep were the waters or how dark was the night. Gethsemane was his last trek to find you and me. And because he said yes to a cup that alienated him from the Father, Within 10 hours, your ransom will be paid. I was doing a funeral some years ago for a family member that committed suicide. Heartbreaking situation. And many in the group, because of their theology and their backgrounds, assumed he went to hell. Because it's that old line that, what if I sin on the way home from church, will I go to heaven? Ridiculous kinds of arguments. And I knew they were there. And I was on their turf. But I I said to these holiness people, God's people, I said, I grew up with a song that went like this. I don't know if you folks sing it anymore. It went like this. Now, now, now wait, just stay with me. G says, paid for some. What 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 what? All. Oh, oh, oh oh! you mean he could cover a, a desperate man in a wrong act in the last day of his life? Jesus paid for some of it. Some of it to him I owe. No 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 no. What he went through in Gethsemane to the cross, I could say Jesus paid it all. Every insane thing I've ever done, every crazy choice, every wondering, every sin, Jesus paid in all. And it began in Gethsemane, all to him I owe. Father, as a ransom sheep, I never knew how deep the river was. I I cannot fathom how dark Gethsemane was. And I prayed this morning, don't let me contaminate the message with my earthliness and my contaminated humanity. You said to this man, "Will I look to him who's of a humble and a contrite heart and who trembles at my word, and I tremble at Gethsemane. I was the one that fell asleep, Lord. I was no help in Gethsemane, and I was no help at Calvary, and neither was anybody else. Jesus, you had to one as awfully bad because you couldn't get any help from us. But you went over the river and its tumultuous waters. And when demons and Satan were lying and men were plotting, and you will be an emaciated piece of humanity that Isaiah said. You won't recognize him in ten hours. You won't even know he's Mary's son. He'll be too pulverized to be called the son of Mary. Amen. This bleeding sacrifice. Or Jesus, thanks for drinking the cup. Amen. Jesus, thanks for submitting to the hour. Amen. Jesus. When you couldn't talk your father out of it, you said, here am I. I'm powerless in the palm of providence. Do with me as it is good. There will be no Jehovah-Jireh other than me today. I will be the lamb you provided. There won't be a substitute for me. I'm it. And I want to say to you, dear sinner, Dear child of God, Jesus is enough for you. Jesus paid so much for you. You ought to love him, adore him, Oh, you ought to run to him if you've never received Christ. May the Spirit of God show you the preciousness of Jesus and say, it's not I just want to escape hell. I want to know such a person. I want to know the Jesus of Gethsemane the Jesus of Calvary,